Oh man, we're starting out great. I just built a whole <laughs> thing of water on the ground by my yep. feet. Well, all right, welcome everyone to another episode of Geology on the Rocks, your one-stop audio shop for all things rocks and rocking out. A brief overview of how this evening's episode will go. It's going to include the intros and hellos, followed by another episode of, not episode, but another segment of new news. So our main discussion is going to pick up kind of where we left off last week with our conversation that we had uh, last episode about environmental concerns associated with lithium-ion batteries. Between the bars of our discussion, we would present to you another mineral minute which should be fun and before signing off we're going to close things out with a little that freaking rocks a big thank you to all the listeners out there for allowing us to be played between your earballs both to our new listeners and our returning listeners alike for spending your time each week with us if you would like to reach out to us whether it be for episode ideas answers you're wanting answered if you fancy being a guest or just tell us about all the times that we have misspoke <laughs> which i'm sure is a lot you can reach out to us at geologyotr at gmail.com or you can find us on instagram at geology on the rocks podcast so without further ado as always i am your host james the geologist and i'm brian beggins and this is geology on, on the, the rocks. rocks yeah well cheers hello, sir how are you? I'm I'm swell. How are you? I'm I'm making it so another week. It was. How uh, was your week, man? It was good. I uh just read a lot of research papers and then um I I started recording music some of my friends from like there's one guy from Europe and then also um someone from Pennsylvania, they do post rock. Oh, so it, it wasn't the, uh, the, the challenge that we sent out last week. So no, <laughs> dang it. I didn't get an email from him. Yeah. No, no, no. Maybe one day, one day, maybe they'll step up. I, they, I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, I wrote a lot of guitar. Yeah. That was about it. That's kind of like, uh, I was texting with one of our friends about uh, last week's episode and then I was just like, I was, what is it? What's the word? Passive aggressively being like, I guess Brian doesn't want to do the show anymore. (laughs) I was like, sorry. (laughs) So you've been busy playing guitar. Yeah. I can't wait till you break your big news. I'm excited. Yeah. What about you? I finished up my week with school. So I'm done with that. I am currently grading all of these papers. They're (laughs) so good, man. I love reading these papers. They're, they're very. (laughs) So anyways, Brian, mustache talk. Mustache. Yeah. So I feel like at a certain point, everyone needs a good old fashioned uh, geology mustache. (laughs) I, I don't know if you've ever seen those, I don't know, any kind of YouTube video of a geologist, uh, man, woman, child, they all have, they have it seems like they have big, just gnarly mustaches. Like the walrus mustache. Yeah. So Brian, I must ask you a question. Okay. What's that? Check it out. You like it? You, you, you have a full blown mustache. Dude, I, I did. So what I, <laughs> I, I've been growing out my beard. So, uh, I don't know. So this is about three months worth of, uh, of mustache action. Yeah. You can't really tell, like it's kind of blend in because the rest of my beard has kind of, uh, it's grown back. But earlier this week, it was like, it was, just- it was dark. <laughs> and then it was like pasty white. <laughs> weird looks at the grocery store. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I, I shaved it into a mustache and then all of this toxic masculinity just like filled my, <laughs> yeah. my like I did a DNA test and it, it, it's, it turns out that most of my blood is made of sawdust and bacon grease. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds about right. I, and I, I don't know. I started a fire with my bare hands. Oh my gosh. It, it just something like I found out. I'm like, I have like chest hair now. <laughs> like it's, it's really weird. Maybe I should try it. Last night our sink clogged up and I, <laughs> I unclogged it. I knew how to do it. Like no joke. Like our, our drain, like where we, the food, like spaghetti was stuck in there and I had to like do the piping. So that's how you get people to do what you want is you get them to grow a mustache. Or 
If you need something like manly done around your house, just, you just drug <laughs> your face into Shave a mustache. Your beard. Like so, okay, man, woman, child out there, you're you need a mustache. That's yep. that's that's I guess what we have. Okay, so I mean, that's our week. Like, uh, yeah, I did yes. electrical work too. Like, just my God, yeah, I know I did. I did electrical work. I'm I, I, the power of the mustache. Like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right. <laughs> New news. New news. Brian, you want to go ahead and lead it off there? Up um, and running. All right. So crickets. Scientists have discovered that crickets will carve leaves into megaphones so they can blare their mating calls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like we had it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, they like, not only do they like carve these, but they're like shaped around their wings. And nice. so like they'll climb on a leaf and their wings will, the leaf is then just an extension belief a belief i believe in them yeah no so <laughs> so like so they're using it as basically they're amplifying their their mating call yeah so that the lady crickets will come over nice and then yeah. so how they how they make their sound right is where they it's kind of like they yeah they, it's like a, a vibration grind. between yeah. their their legs that's yeah. that's i, I think it's <laughs> you come up with the best ones like i i'm i'm lost so my my first article is that I know we've talked about pegmatites. Come on, get your words right, James. So pegmatites, they new research is coming out all the time, and it's actually these huge, massive crystals. What they what they found is that they actually grow in minutes rather than wow. millions of years. So I mean, that was kind of like the assumption that I've always had is like, oh, it takes a really long time. Wow. I, did, I guess I didn't know that. I know they had some rapid cooling, but I didn't think on that scale. Minerals such as aquamarines, your emeralds, garnet, zircon, topaz are a few crystalline minerals that are mostly found in these pegmatite vein-like formations. And we know from our conversations, and you know specifically, that the, the, the I guess the characteristic of the pegmatites is that they grow really, really fast. I, I guess from my understanding of the story, it's kind of like, you know, when you super cool a, a liquid and then in like your freezer and then you hit it and it all like crystallizes like immediately so yeah. it's not like the ice growing <laughs> but i feel like at the at the later stages that um that's kind of what's happening is like you're it's it's cooling off so fast that it's and it's so saturated in these minerals that it's just it's it, yeah, it, it wants so to find a place and it grows out uh, these minerals in a matter of days so earth blowing our minds always man <laughs> from the article what i what i uh what i took from it or what i found humorous about it is you know the person that was doing the research was kind of like, can it be this? Yeah, I, if I, that was my like, <laughs> so I think my you, hypothesis. And yeah. I was like, this is, and it worked out. I'll be like, I can't report this. No one will believe me. No, yeah. So like, I, I feel like it, it was like the, it wasn't like what they initially thought it would be, but the the math and the science worked out. So I guess he went to his supervisor or their supervisor and the supervisor was like, well, why can't it be this? Good for them for not like, yeah. like holding back. Yeah. Like, so <clears throat> blowing our minds. Yeah. Um, my second story is that crested rats, there are these, I think they're African rats. They have poisonous fur. <laughs> What? Yeah, so like they eat these, uh, this one plant and it sends the toxins into their fur. So if you touch them, like if humans touch them, they can die. So they're like the 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 frogs of the Amazon forest? <laughs> yeah. The rats. Yes. So I wonder if maybe, no, because that's the fleas. I was like bluebonic plague. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What or if the black plague. Crested rats. Because <laughs> the mice catch them and then we pet the mice or the cats. And then that's, I don't know. So where was this at again? <laughs> Africa. Africa. Man. We're gonna you would think like Australia or something. No, you like, would definitely, Amazon. definitely think Australia. <laughs> just like, yeah. 
I don't understand that place. So I'm going to, I'm going to, oh no. I, I, there was a, I was reading a story from Australia, but we're not going to get into it this time. Uh, I'm going to wait to the next one and we can just go ahead. This story may not be new, but I believe it's something that is new to us. I don't even know if you want to be aware of it, but <laughs> did you know that scallops, the delicious seafood treat in some cases in some species have over 200 intricate telescoping <laughs> eyes. Why do they need that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So this, the, the king scallop or the pectum maximus has 200 tiny eyes lining its oh uh, mantle God. or outside edge. Yeah. Like this is going to forever, tre- this is going to forever, like, I don't know, look it up. King pectin or the king scallop, the pectin maximus. Okay. So most eyes use lenses to focus light through the cornea onto the retina or the light sensitive tissue on the back of like, let's just say human eye. However, these scallops eyes uses mirror like structures that are actually reflecting the light instead. So it's reflecting. So it goes through when the light passes through a lens, it directs the light through a double retina onto the spherical tapetum. And then the eyes are made of 20 to 30 layers of crystals of guanine. And then the layers themselves are made of closely tiled uh, crystal plates, like like kind of like a mosaic, if you will. Yeah. So each mirror is calibrated to reflect the the light of wavelength or the, the, or the right wavelength of light. So these things are able to see both images of its periphery, like right. So on the side and at the, the center at the same time. <laughs> so I want everyone to think about that the next time you're enjoying <laughs> these treats soaked in the garlic butter. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I saw a picture and they like, like you said, they reflect it like their eyes are like blue. Think of the Hubble telescope and how long it, or just like it took us to like to realize that you've had these creatures underwater that have been doing it forever. They got, they yeah. got there first. So yeah, man. Wow. So we've gone from eyeballs to fur. I, like, I do like that all like our news is weird. Yeah, biology like so stuff. biology stuff. Not my, I think my next one next week is going to be how do you weigh dinosaurs? Okay. All right. Cheers. Cheers. All right. So we're on to episode 14. Um, so this one is going to be a continuation of our conversation that we had last week, more of our environmental thing. I believed I named this one Coney Island Baby, but the <laughs> Coney is spelled C-O-N-I because today what we have in our crosshairs is cobalt and nickel. I have a story, Brian. Story time with James. Yeah, that's me. This one, our story I'm going to bring to you is one filled of folklore treasures hidden deep within mountains and devilish goblins. Excuse me? Yeah. So I know, I know, I know in your head, you probably immediately went to the fantastical stories written by your, your best friend and your, your daddy, (laughs) your daddy hero, J.R.R. Tolkien. But however, this tale does not take place in Middle Earth. Rather, our story begins in Saxony, the year 1335. (laughs) So they're gnomes living in the area where these mythical creatures that were thought to be living in the mines in the Schneeberg Mountains of present-day Germany. These goblins and gnomes, they were tasked with the important job of safeguarding the mountain's silver. That was the folklore. What we know now is that silver of the area, they're found in veins underground. Even if it isn't intentionally mined for itself, miners in the cobalt-rich area came to fear something in the mines. So they didn't know exactly what it was. They just knew that when heated, 
heated. Whenever they were mining the silver, that sometimes the silver wasn't what it appeared. And when they heated it, it filled the mine with a vapor that could kill them. So it would make them sick and then they would often die. Even those who did escape were sick for weeks and sometimes had their health permanently ruined. So one of the elements that cobalt combines with is arsenic. And cobalt atom with two arsenic atoms attached is called cobalite that we'll get into. And a cobalt atom with three arsenic atoms attached is called scudderite. Why do you say that? Scudder? I don't know. Scudderite. Scudderite. Scudder. Scudderudite. Yeah, scudderudite. Duh. So neither is a rare combination. So when miners tried to extract a piece of ore by heating it up, they released arsenic as a gas all around them. So what they thought was silver and they thought the gnomes were kind of protecting their silver of it. And actually it was cobalt mixed with arsenic. So they noticed that this was especially common when they were hacking into the substance that looked like copper, but had turned blue. And it's called Mm. a substance called cobalt. But what they named it was cobalt, that goblin that was protecting them. So that's how actually cobalt got its name. That's amazing. They should make a movie about that. I know. I mean, I think they have. It's called Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Sorry. With Gollum. (laughs) (laughs) Protecting his his, his cobalt. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Uh, that's interesting because like, so you think of arsenic, like arsenopyrite, it's kind of that silverish, like it's not your yellow, like you would chalcopyrite or anything. So yeah. And cobalt on its own is silver ish. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. What I think of with cobalt, I think of blue. Yeah. Well, yeah. And um, it, it'll be like a trace element in other structures. Like um, what's that? What do we call the sexy blue mineral? Azurite? Oh, well, that one is. Uh, it was covalite. Covalite. Which actually is C-U-S, I think, is co- a copper sulfide. Okay. But it, I think little bits of cobalt will attach and it makes it that really bright blue. Yeah. Very cool. So I, I mean, blue minerals are typically my favorite, like, yeah. but as we're also <laughs> toxic. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I was, I, I don't know if it's appropriate, but never mind. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's something to do with phallic structures that were been looked very, or the malachite that looked very phallic. Oh yeah. Uh, There's a whole Reddit chain that was, I was like, this is awesome. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk about cobalt. Cobalt is a naturally occurring element that has properties similar to iron and nickel. That's why we call this one Coney Island Baby. Anyways, they're both (laughs) used in the making of lithium ion batteries. It has an atomic number of 27 and it's considered a transition metal on the periodic table. So there's these small amounts of cobalt are naturally found in most rock, soil, water, plants, and animals, typically in small amounts. So these are like trace amounts. So cobalt is found also in meteorites. Elemental cobalt is a hard silver silverly gray metal, and then we'll kind of get into the the geochemistry and mineralogy. So, however, it's usually found in the environment combined with other (laughs) elements such as oxygen, sulfur, and arsenic that we've talked about. So, yeah. Yeah. And it like, it has a pretty diverse mineral occurrences because it will, like you, you brought up, it's similar to iron and nickel. Yeah. But it's also similar to like magnesium because cobalt has two main valences and that's going to be a plus two and a plus three. So okay. it'll not only because of that, but also it's ionic radius. It'll fit in with all those others. Yeah. So it can transform in like mere carbonates, like dolomites. So it can fit into many minerals, but Really, the primary ones are going to be those sulfide minerals. Like we talked about, like you'll find like arsenic and nickel, but like your like chalcopyrites and stuff. The sulfide minerals that we primarily see them are carolite, lineaite, and sigonite. That's <laughs> yeah, I did a pretty good job on that. I, one. I, I, I. <clears throat> we'll see how the next one's. <laughs> yeah, this is going to get. <laughs> 
It also occurs in arsenide minerals, scutterudite and safflorite, sulfur arnides, which cobaltite, which you talked about up there, glaucodot. <laughs> yeah. And then it occurs in cobaltiferous pyrite and pyrohitite. And then secondary process, like so your super gene, it's going to be like your superficial weathering. And so the main minerals there are going to be urethrite, urethrite. And it's like what they call cobalt bloom because they would see it on rocks and it's just really like astonishingly pink. So um, did, did, okay, so I think that was actually the story I was reading from Australia on how this this lake can solidify you. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, because it's it's so like uh it's not connected. So it's more like a sea, but it's not connected to any kind of water source. So it's like super, super, super uh I guess salty. And like birds, they were found like calcified birds. <laughs> and then but it's pink. So I don't know. Uh, do you think that has anything to do with it? I'll look into I it. I mean, uh maybe. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look into it. Maybe it's lithium, like we talked about, like in the brine lakes. Okay. I don't know. So yeah, urethrite is that cobalt bloom and we'll get back to you on the the pink lake that can crystallize you. Good God. Yeah. (laughs) And then heterogenite, (laughs) aspalate, hazelwoodite. Who the fuck (laughs) makes these up? And then uh, sometimes girthite. Girthite. Is that how you say that? I, that's what. That's that's how I I'm say it. Like girthite or goeth. I know. Goeth. I know. But it's girthite. Goethite and then limonite, limonite. However you want to say that, they can contain. It's like a a coating of cobalt. Yeah. Uh, around it, so it's like a superficial. But I like. But but you can see that because like the the limonite, that's kind of like a secondary mineral that. Yeah. It's kind of like this. It's like a pseudomorph. That yeah. You, um, do you remember in New Mexico? And maybe you don't know. I should have brought them over. I have these things called desert. Devil's dice. Devil's dice. Yeah. And I was sitting at, on an outcrop and it was this, it was a schist. And I looked down and I see these little cubes just all throughout this matrix of schist. Really? And it's these pyrites that have been pseudomorphed into limonite. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know it worked that way, but yeah. I like how you wrote up here hypogene versus supergene. So like the hypogene is those are the the ones that are produced deep down inside the earth. And then the supergene are kind of like, that's why if you see something that says supergene, they're going to be more uh, surficial. It's going to be at yeah. the surface from the, the weathering process. Like over, like, yeah. like superposition. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Versus hypogene. <clears throat> That's, it's kind of how it all goes. There's these small amounts of these chemical compounds that can be found, again, in soils, in the rocks, the plants, and the animals. So cobalt is even found in water, in dissolved or ionic form, typically in small amounts. If you remember from previous episodes, ions are just these atoms or collection of atoms or molecules containing a positive and a negative electrical charge. And then that electro that electrical charge of that plus and minus is kind of what's bonding these together. So it's biologically important cobalt compound. We can see it in vitamin B12 or it's called cyanocobalamin. So it's vitamin B12 is essential for good health in animals and humans. Nice. So that was, that was a fun, yeah. fun fact. Yeah, I, I, I had no clue that like, and you think of vitamins, you're like, oh yeah, vitamins. Oh, vitamins, as my mother would say, vitamins. or my mother dear. Oh, yeah. She's British. She's British. Oh, right. terrible. Don't, don't, she's going to listen to this. Yeah. They, she, they do every oh, week. So. Hey mom, I love you, mother dear. I apologize. Okay, so I want to just briefly touch on some deposit types, like where the primary ones, like where are we mining these in the world and what do those de- deposits typically look like? And the most dominant one is going to be the stratiform sediment hosted copper and cobalt deposits. Because like we said, uh, I think we said it earlier, cobalt doesn't occur by itself. It's always, so it's like lithium? Yeah, it's it's like that in nickel, right? Yeah. But it's... God, I just forgot what I fucking say. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, okay. So it... <laughs> 
<laughs> cobalt doesn't form by itself and it'll form in these like with these other sulfide minerals or it'll be in these strata bound kind of complexes and so it's like within a sedimentary strata you will that's where you'll find like these cobalt minerals cobalt nickel arsenic copper and then not only that but it'll also be along so you can have them within the deposit or like along each bedding okay and so it's that's what strata form is uh, okay yeah that makes sense <clears throat> yeah and so they're usually like i said in sedimentary units so siliciclastics that's that's what you that's what you call a uh, a funny sandstone yeah he's a silly <laughs> clastic or a carbonate strata so these important ore hosts are basically giant brushes and they figured out that they originated by the dissolution of former salt beds the scientific community i think they went back and forth on this but the consensus is that these metalliferous saline hydrothermal fluids were introduced at low to moderate temperatures during diagenesis or early low-grade metamorphism. Nice. Yeah. This is the Congo. This is that big deposit there is going to be there in this. It's called the Central African Copper Belt and cobalt is a byproduct, but that's where most of our cobalt comes from. Yeah. The other one or the, the second one of the major ones is going to be a nickel cobalt laterite deposit. And Why, so you should have turned that around and said Coney. It's oh a Coney man. deposit. Why did, I don't know. We just did so it. It's the, a so Coney. The, so the Coney laterite deposits. First off, laterites are regoliths <laughs> and they're typically red, but that what that means is it's an unconsolidated blanket of stuff like earth materials <laughs> overlying bedrock. And so that can be just weathered bedrock. No, yeah. So that's alluvium or windblown, right? Yeah, no. So like uh, regoliths are just kind of where you start to get soil formation. So you have the, the that's it's basically like the sea of the soil yeah. horizon. It la it generally lacks abundant organics. I think that's kind I of. Mean, I mean, but I mean, it, there's really, it's really hard to distinct the, the bedrock from that bottom layer and yeah. then the, the bee and then the. It is. Yeah. And I like, I saw that term and I'd heard it before, but like I always use residuum and I don't know why I would use that instead. Maybe residuum is very specifically, it is the weathered bedrock profile. Yeah. It's, it's maybe, I, yeah. I haven't heard of that one, but I know regoliths is kind of the, is what we talk about when we start talking about the soil formations, which would make sense when you get to the, 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 what's the, the hypogene, like, yeah. right. So if it's weathering that, so if it's the weathering of these rocks and then you kind of get up. it. Yeah. What I was saying is that you may have boulders in there. You may have yeah. like windblown lowest and all that. So it can be a jumble of stuff, but I like where these ore bodies are, they're usually in these humid tropical climates and it's caused by the weathering of diverse bedrock types. And I think really what we're thinking of here is it's going to be a, a mafic or ultra mafic rock that it's overlying. So it could be like a basalt or peridotite, dunite kind of thing. Yeah. And then what, from what you said, like with the humid tropical climate, so the, when it comes to soil formation itself in the, I guess the, the warm kind of humid environment, it's kind of, it, you'll get that. It's, uh, what am I trying to say? So whenever you're in those environments from the top up, it's kind of hard. You won't get those. It's, it's, I guess, Horizon. yeah. So it'll be like an immature soil, but mm. so, but if you have that entire regolith, 
in those warm environments and you're not really getting that formation set up, then I guess that's why you would get these real rich beds in certain places. Like, yeah. cause that's in the, I guess the Congo, which is near the equator. So it's always going to be warm and wet. So then, I mean, that sets up prime if it's just weathering on top of that. And yeah. it's, and I would think like South America would be a really good spot, but you have those, Oh, I guess the Congo, I guess that has forests too, but yeah, but I guess there really hasn't been any, but I guess if it has mm-hmm. to do with the underlying bedrock too. So and I think that's the key is you need like mainly cobalt is really depleted in the continental crust. And so like when you get down to mafic rocks, it'll be enriched. But when you get to ultra mafic, that's where they're actually thinking like that might be a future place to mine. Nice. Um, so Yeah. So um, I know we talked about laterite when in the whole idea, when we try to extract these laterites are a low grade uh, extraction method and must be extracted through more complex open pit mining techniques to remove any sorts of large volumes of water before refining. So the other type, so the, the pure type of when they're extracting it, it's called, they take it from the sulfide deposits like we yeah. you talked about. So which would be considered the, the higher grade and extracted using the conventional techniques. So. Yeah. And so to the laterites, and I, I think this is kind of important, like uh, we were talking about, okay, well, it's a, it's a weathered bedrock sequence or something, right? But the, they can be 10 to 40 meters thick. Like, and, yeah, and you think about that, like, that's, so that's we're huge. not, yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're talking about like, it's, it's weathering so that water goes down and it weathers that rock, but it's, yeah. so it's but it's building up this huge, massive. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and so I'll kind of go through the succession of layers top to bottom. So you'll have your overburden, which we just call it that it's just material that is, it can be organic or it'll be stuff that's, it's maybe started to, to develop a soil profile. Then you'll have a big segment of limonite then saprolite and unweathered source rocks. And so what I see there is you'll, Instead of like the soil, like you'll have leaching, but then it it separates and transforms what used to be bedrock yeah. into these big main deposits. And so they usually contain about only 1% nickel and 0.15% cobalt. But I, st- but I still think in the grand scheme of things, like 1% of nickel and even 0.15 cobalt, I mean, I feel like that's pretty abundant. It is. It it also shows how much waste. Like, I mean, and, I'm, and the, when they waste stuff, they don't just like throw it aside. Like they there's probably other stuff that they get out of there, but yeah. really for like what we're talking about, like lithium ion batteries and cobalt being the main element for cathodes on that, yeah, you are kind of wasting a lot. So we'll get into that later, but these deposits, they're relatively young because they're weathering products, right? And so mid tertiary to Holocene, an example of this, like there were, there definitely are some in the Congo, but Calgary and the Murin Murin of Western Australia. I think you need to do that with an, with an I, Australian. I, I, I thought about it and I was like, some Kalgoorlie and Marin Marin of Austin, Australia. You like combined like, yeah. like yeah. English. Yeah. I don't know. It like so it goes in it. So like I'm just going to like again our 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 tangents. Yes. I again I did my my research for my thesis was in Western Australia of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You no, did this before. I know every time. It's uh God. Carnarvon. <laughs> like uh so Carnarvon, uh Western Australia. Anyways, I don't know what I was going with that. I don't <laughs> I did I, I was so thrown off. Oh no, yeah, that's where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> to get myself like amped or just keep myself in kind of like the zone of Western Australia in my research, I have changed Siri to do this. Hey Siri, what's my name? You're James, but since we are friends, I get to call you sexy. <laughs> 
Do, so, hey, so do you remember? <laughs> I don't know. It was that that same thing like went off in paleontology when we were all in there. My iPad <laughs> kind of went off and it's like, I'm sorry, sexy. I didn't catch that. Oh my God. I do you don't know, remember you don't that. that. No. Oh my God. That was so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, now that I just threw us all off, how about we talk about uh, yeah, yeah, magmatic but, nickel copper? Magmatic. I like that word. I like magmatic. Yeah, yeah. These deposits, so they're they're nickel copper, but they also contain cobalt and the platinum group elements, otherwise known as PGEs. Hey, I'm going to throw you off again with a random tangent. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Can we start a new segment or just like a, a, a little quick thing? Where we discuss. It's, it's called. Acronyms. Bragging Brags. Bragging the b- <laughs> <laughs> no bagging baggins brags <laughs> just about or, no 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 I just it, it's got to be one sentence or just like a few words but it's got to be something just so there's there's <laughs> like been a, a couple times like you know, like when I've been <laughs> editing there's been some several times where I'm just like Brian bag brags <laughs> I, do. I know we'll I just do. call it Brian Braggins. <laughs> Yes. Okay. okay, good. All right. Well, I'll have to work on that. Just one sentence, right? Yeah, just, okay. Had, right. and it'll just be... Well, this week I'm calling Platinum Group Elements. Yeah, so I mean like... That was it? That's my brag? I don't know. <laughs> I like the word magmatic. Magmatic. Okay, good. All right. Okay. <laughs> so because of what I just told you guys about the cobalt concentrations in continental crust versus like your mafic and ultramafic, these deposits are going to occur in the mafic and ultramafic rocks where they occur within or near basal zones of layered intrusive complexes that, or it'll be the discordant magmatic conduits. So the intrusions. Dikes. Yeah. Dikes. And within. I like dikes. I like dikes. I don't watch that in a long time. Uh, and within ultramafic inclusions or lava flows. These have a much wider age range because we know that a lot of our igneous rocks are very old. And so these age ranges, these types can be Archean to tertiary. Like yeah, it's, so like, it's almost as wide of a band <laughs> as you get. That's, how do you, the quant, is that, I don't even know how you could like, I don't, if, if you were like in a paper, you're just like, yeah, like it could be Archean in age to tertiary. Like, <laughs> Like what? Uh, well, they're not talking about like one deposit. <laughs> oh, okay. No. Okay. Okay. Over the like, if you if you reported that, they would just like, like don't ever come back. <laughs> don't ever submit. So just like the uh, the the gauntlet of all of these, de- yeah. like throughout the world, right? Like with the occurrences that we know of, they can range. From yeah. Well, the, but that would make sense again with the hypogene and the well, and we have modern basalt flows also, yeah. right? So maybe that should change to Holocene. Who knows? I don't, I don't know. know. Nickel is going to be the primary commodity. In and then cobalt and the platinum group elements are secondary. In these, specifically, co- cobalt's going to reside in the crystal structure of petlandite and linaeite. And magmatic segregation of sulfides, it's basically sometimes a hydrothermal mo- mobilization into this like post-magmatic structure. And that's that's kind of the key for all the, the sulfides and the ore deposits with those. It's like this hydrothermal water, however it's caused, is really the the main thing that, yeah. that allows everything to but that's that driving that ion migration. Yeah, it it, it the mobile metals. Mobile yeah. metals. Mobile wow. metals. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna Yeah. 
We could do so much. I know. Yeah. So an example of this would be like in the Sudbury complex in Ontario. So they do like what's interesting about that place is that was an impact crater that caused some crustal melting. And so they did have some ultramafics there. Nice. And so then with that, then hydrothermal action happened and then you have all this migration and that's so before all of that. And you know what I'm saying? Like, so you could have like the ultramafics like mixed in with like this sedimentary cover and you know, the, the continental crust, like, could you, like, how would, before you really had that, I'm just like trying to go back. If I were a geologist back when discovering oh, these right. things, like what the heck? Happened? I know. And then like, I guess the only clues you would get is that it was an impact crater would be like the tectites, like the, like the shock yeah, cores, right? Yeah. And I mean, I assume like, depending on how far back you're you're talking about like they may have not have known about coasite and stuff like that. So. It's just a little, yeah. that's just again scientist yeah. geologist. I bet you they had a mustache. <laughs> I bet they did. Yeah, and I get the- <laughs> <laughs> sometime we should take a promo pic of like us in old gear and yeah. mustaches. So these other deposits cumulatively they only account for eight percent of all the cobalt, and so those I'll just list them. They're like shale hosted deposits. That's basically if you have like your like black shales, right? Yeah. Pyrite's always in that, like, a, or at least every black shell I've seen has pyrite. Is that, it's because the anox, if whatever bacteria is there is that they, it's anox, so like whatever they have in there that's degrading anything, they're, they're using sulfur as their, yeah, it's so that their like sulfate will uh, reduce, like, especially in like reducing zones, so yeah. it'll reduce down to sulfide. And so pyrite is easy to make because you have a lot of iron. Yeah. There's, yeah. So that, FES2. <laughs> yeah. And so then like, that doesn't just happen on its own then you have hydrothermal action it's like this this is kind of a segment on hydrothermal like what it can do but uh that scarns so an igneous body will will affect a carbonate body basically and you end up with this really crazy looking rock but that happens volcanogenic deposits and then we had talked about these earlier on another episode but the manganese nodules and seafloor crust yeah that's another spot where cobalt's sitting out there in like low quantities but there there's some discussion on this later but it's kind of like how do we do that and what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. if you want to know more about that, you can go to our previous episode called My Sediments Exactly. Right. Exactly. And then finally, polymetallic veins. So those are, that's where you can find the cobalt that we know of now. There's some other deposits, but they were so low on the totem pole that I, I mean, they were like, there's probably 10 more types, but it's like, Why? Yeah. Okay. So to extract these generally, like in the, like specifically like the magmatic deposits, you're going to want to do underground mining. So yeah, magmatic, volcanogenic, massive sulfide, and then your scarns. That's where you're, you're going to blow holes in the rock and start chipping away. And, yeah. Yeah. So it's where they get the, the gremlins come in. Yeah. The, that, like your story. Yeah. The cobalt. Yeah. I'm cobalt. <laughs> I'm going to. Carbon. <laughs> that's what I pictured. Just like, yeah, but the other ones are open pit. And so that's going to be your stratiform and laterite. And those are basically the most abundant types of mining for this. And also some of the most dangerous. Yeah. And then we'll get into that yeah. like definitely later. Yeah. Damn laterites. Damn it. The Church of Ladder Ladderite Saints. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we're gonna get some phone calls. Uh, so to process these after extraction, though, they can be processed by leaching, roasting, and leaching, and then smelting and leaching. That's Just, a word I don't like. Smelt. Smelt. I don't like the word meat either. So. 
Yeah, it's kind of needy. Yeah. So once they basically get this into a solution by leaching, they're going to purify it and they're going to refine it to separate out the individual metals. And this is where metallurgy comes in. Like uh, you always think of that. And like, I, I think I used to confuse that term with alchemy. <laughs> that would have been a Brian Braddock. Oh, <laughs> I used to confuse metallurgy <laughs> with alchemy. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm kidding, Brian. I love it. <laughs> but so you can do like what they do is like a hydrometallurgical or electrometallurgical. And I'm really not well versed on that. And that's why I'm not a mining engineer or someone that does the after effects. Yeah, I no, don't like do anything I, in mining and I don't plan to. It's, I mean, I feel like it's like uh, intricately they, they dance around structural and you know what I'm saying? And yeah. Geochemical <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah, it's it's some crazy stuff. But some of the ways they do this, I do understand a little bit. So chemical precipitation, they're going to allow that. They're going to add like buffers and allow certain things to precipitate out. Right. Electro twinning, no clue what that is, but that's what they do. Hydrogen reduction and ion exchange, those can go kind of hand in hand together. But ion exchange, you're putting, you basically, you dissolve out what you don't want. And then what's left is you're going to put it in a tube that has resin. It kind of is a catchment. And so you're going to flood it bonds with that resin, but what you do is you're comparing your H plus, so your hydrogen, and you're going to flush it with different acids that are going to allow that hydrogen. Yeah, so you're then able to pull out what you need, like whatever element you're wanting to analyze, it's going to be a product of that reaction. And it, it's not that it's a product, like it changed into that, you're just allowing it to filter through. Okay. So then solvent, solvent extraction, and then they actually use bacteria. Nice. To like, it's amazing. Like they'll use bacteria to do like cleanup all also like at acid mine drains and stuff. So I know they use bacteria with like oil spills too. They have oil eating bacteria, but that's organic. So this is a little bit different, but I I know if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the precipitate. Dilution is the solution. Dilution. No, it's, it's, it's fascinating. So I know in the United States, cobalt is not currently being mined. It hasn't been mined in the past, but therefore here in the United States, obtain cobalt, I guess, in any kind of physical means, it, it's other chemical forms from imported materials and by recycling scrap metal that contains cobalt. Well, that's so weird because like we consume so much. Of yeah, it. Right? <laughs> we don't do any of it here. We'll get into it in a minute. Yeah. I, China, 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 China. I love China. <laughs> I told you I'm a liquor. Yeah. Oh my God. What is your James the (laughs) Lickety (laughs) Lickety Licker? That's Salty Brian. All right. So anyways, cobalt metal is usually mixed with, so once it's out, it's mixed with other metals to form alloys. So these form harder and they are more resistant to wear and corrosion. So these alloys are used in a number of military and industrial applications, such as aircraft engines, magnets, and grinding and cutting tools. Didn't you, that's what you told me that was your favorite app on your phone was Grinder. Salty Brian. <laughs> I do not have that app. Just so I think that's how we met. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Geology uh, daddies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. They love us. So they're, they're also using uh, artificial hip and knee joints. So cobalt compound, they're used as colorants in glass, ceramics, paints, and as catalysts and as paint dryers. So cobalt colorants have a characteristic blue hue. So that's what I was talking about. Like whenever yeah. I associate cobalt, it's this blue. However, not all cobalt compounds are blue. 
the cobalt compounds are used as trace elements, additives in agriculture and medicine. So I think we're seeing that it, it has a variety. It has a range, yeah. right? So I think the applications <laughs> of it are from archaean to tertiary, if you will. It, it, it runs like the gauntlet, right? So yeah. cobalt can also exist in radioactive form. So as a radioactive isotope of an element constantly gives off radiation, this just means that it can change into an isotope of different element or of a different isotope of the same element. This newly formed nucleide may be stable or radioactive, and this process is called radioactive decay, what we've talked about. We have uh, cobalt-60 is the most important radioisotope of cobalt. It produces, or it's produced by bombarding natural cobalt-59 with neutrons in a nuclear reactor. So this cobalt-60 decays by giving off a beta ray or electron, and it's changed into the stable nuclide of nickel. So now we're seeing the connection of cobalt and nickel, yeah. right? The atomic number of 28. The half-life of cobalt-60 is about 5.27 years and the decay is accompanied by the emission of high energy radiation called gamma rays. So this cobalt 60 is used as a source of gamma ray for sterilizing medical equipment and consumer products, radiation therapy for treating cancer patients and manufacturing plastic. Gross. Yeah. Which is another, we probably need to get into that in season yeah. two is plastics. That's such a small half-life. I know yeah. it is. It's uh, So cobalt 60 has uh, been used for food irradiation. You know, when we talk about importing, I guess, food or vegetables and fruits from different countries, right? They have specifications they need to be irradiated. Okay, so depending on the radiation dose, this process may be used to sterilize food, destroy pathogens, extend the shelf life of food, disinf... Food? What am I talking about? Feud? <laughs> Disinfest fruits and grains, delay ripening and retard sprouting e.g. potatoes wow. and onions. This radioactive cobalt is everywhere. So I guess if you know the half-life and how long you think the shelf life is going to be, does that kind of where they get, how much should we irradiate this way yeah. <laughs> so it's not harmful? Yeah. I didn't even know. I know that they ir irradiated that, but man, yeah, that's... it brings a whole different level of, and then I know on apples, they have like this wax coating. So I don't know. Yeah, I know. I don't know. There's <laughs> all this stuff. So cobalt 57 is used in medical and scientific research and has a half-life of 270 days, even smaller half-life. Yeah, so cobalt 57 undergoes a decay process called electron capture. So the cobalt 60 is shooting off a gamma ray, but this 57 cobalt is capturing it. Another important isotope is cobalt 58, and it's produced when nickel is exposed to a source of neutrons. Since nickel is used in nuclear reactors, cobalt 58 may be unintentionally produced and appear as a contaminant in cooling water released by nuclear reactors. Also decays by electron capture, forming other staple isotopes of iron. So you have iron or 58 iron. Mm -hmm. Cobalt 58 has a half-life of 71 days and gives off beta and gamma radiation decay processes. And this uh, cobalt may enter the environment from both natural sources and human activity. So the cobalt occurs naturally in soil, rock, air, and plants and animals, like I said uh, two times before. So thrice. It may enter the air and water and settle on land from windblown dust, seawater spray, volcanic eruptions, forest fires, and may additionally get into the surface water from runoff and leaching whenever this rainwater washes through soil and rock containing cobalt. So this is kind of like where we see this, how we're getting it to move around in the soil. So soil near ore deposits, phosphate rocks or ore smelting facilities, and soils contaminated by airport traffic, highway traffic, or other industrial pollutions may contain high concentration 
concentrations of cobalt. These small amounts of cobalt may be released into the atmosphere from coal-fired power plants, and then incinerators, vehicle exhaust, industrial activities uh, relating to these mining and processings of cobalt-containing ores, and then the production and the use of the cobalt alloys and chemicals. Cobalt-58 and cobalt-60 may be released into the environment as a result of nuclear accidents. We can think back to Chernobyl. Radioactive waste dumping in the sea or from radioactive waste landfills and nuclear power plant options. Yeah, and that you see that also like any of these waste areas, even at like extraction points. Yeah. Water is going to come in and you'll have these tailings dams, but you can have seepage. And I think it was they, I think it was in Idaho. They had a mine up there. Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> James interjections. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so they started to realize that the groundwater used in people's wells and then in adjacent streams was all enriched like 70 times. Good Lord. Because of like kind of what you're talking about is like these ra radioactive waste they're going to dump out in different areas, but they may not take care of them. And so then people are affected by it. Yeah. Fun fact about cobalt is that it cannot be destroyed in the environment. Hmm. Yeah. It can only change its form or become attached to separate uh, or separated from particles. So cobalt released from power plants and other combustion uh, processes is usually attached to very small particles. We'd keep that in mind. So cobalt contained in windborne soil is generally found in larger particles than those released from power plants. These large particles settle to the ground or are washed out of the air by rain. We're seeing that it can be transported in yeah. the environment. Back to those tailings dams and where they capture a lot of that mine drainage, they do is that sometimes they'll just submerge a bunch of the waste in water. And so evaporation will happen. Well, <laughs> cobalt will form because it likes to form with things. Yeah. It'll form with these evaporites. And then what happens is then wind or whatever will carry all that yeah. to another water body. And then you're you're elevating all the levels out there. It's, yeah. It's wild. And then like you said, so that's a good point that that the cobalt attaches to these small particles and it can stay in the air for actually like days at a time. Uh, you get into a strong stream of air and it can be transported quite a bit of distance. So cobalt released into water actually may stick to the particles in the water column or the sediment at the bottom. Kind of what you're talking about last week with lithium kind of being attached there too. Uh, so the specific fate of cobalt will depend on many factors such as the chemistry of the water and sediments at the site as well as the cobalt concentration and water flow. These cobalt deposits on soil is often strongly attached to soil particles and therefore it's not going to travel down. You know, when we have elements with water, as you percolate that water down, like they get drawn down to the, the lower levels yeah. and washes out like the, the alluviation. <laughs> yeah, the, the what the e-horizon, yeah. this cobalt. And I think nickel's the same way is that they form with the with the soil particles. So they're not, they're heavier. So they're not going to actually go down. However, the, the form of cobalt and the natural the soil at a particular site will affect how far cobalt will penetrate into the soil. Both in soil and sediment, the amount of cobalt that is mobile will increase under more acidic conditions because I guess that hydrogen kind of uh, cuts everything and it's acidic. So ultimately, most cobalt ends up in the soil or sediment. Cobalt-60 and cobalt-58 are moderately short-lived manufactured radioactive isotopes that are produced at nuclear reactors. Although the isotopes are not produced by nuclear fission, small amounts of these actual radio radioisotopes 
isotopes are also produced by the neutron interaction with structural materials found in the reactor of these nuclear power plants and are produced during routine operation nuclear, uh, just anyways, in the operation of it. So small amounts may be released to the environment as contaminants in cooling waste or in radioactive waste. And since these isotopes are not fission products, they are not produced in nuclear weapons testing and are not associated with nuclear fallout. In the environment, these radioisotopes of cobalt will behave chemically like a stable cobalt. However, the cobalt 60 and 58 will also undergo radioactive decay according to the respective half-lives of 5.2 years and 71 days. Another thing is, is that once cobalt enters your body, it actually distributes to all your tissues, but mainly into the liver, kidney, and bones. That so, makes sense. Yeah, so once it's breathed in or eaten, some of it leaves the body quickly in your, your poop poop. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest is absorbed into the blood and then the into the tissues throughout the body. Studies have shown that cobalt does not readily enter the body through normal skin, but it can if the skin has been cut. Okay. So it's mainly like you got to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> or drink it. Ingest it somehow. When too much of that cobalt's taken into your body, harmful health effects can occur. So like workers in the mines or in like the processing, they breathe air containing like 0 0.038 milligrams of cobalt per square meter. So that's about 100,000 times the concentration normally found in just your ambient air. And they like over six hours, they started having trouble breathing. Serious effects on the lungs, including asthma, pneumonia, and wheezing have been found in people exposed to 0 0.005 milligrams cobalt. I have a, a fun story. So stories by James. <laughs> Brian, did you know in the 1960s, some breweries actually added cobalt salts to their beer to stabilize the foam? <laughs> so this, so what you're just saying is that it, it actually has resulted in exposures of 0.04 to the 0.14 milligrams of cobalt uh, per kilogram. So some people actually drink excessive amounts of beer. <laughs> so if you drink <laughs> eight to 25 pints a day, some people I know- Eight to 25. Austin, dude, my my best friend. Yeah, I don't know. He he drinks about okay. eight to twenty five pints per day. Experience uh, serious effects <laughs> on the heart. So this is due to that cobalt. Uh, luckily, they don't do it anymore. But in some cases, these effects resulted in death. So yeah, too much. I guess it goes to the saying: too much of a good thing is always bad, right? Yeah. Cobalt is no longer added to your beer, so calm down out there. <laughs> Yikes. Being exposed to radioactive cobalt may, it's obviously we've seen, <laughs> kind of fuck you up. I <laughs> don't they think any kind of radiation. <laughs> yeah, it is just, just don't. Imagine um, those like gamma rays just like pinging through your body. Like, <laughs> like just, just, it's, they're constantly they just keep going. Keep you up at night. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you don't touch the radioactive cobalt, because we, we think, yo, you have to be in contact, but it's just that radioactivity. Just yeah, no, if you're near it, it's shooting yeah. those that those electrons. Like, it doesn't care that you have skin or <laughs> bones, right? It just shoots right through you. Yeah, so please take care of yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, don't touch it. Don't do any of that. You can turn into the Incredible Hulk. Or cobalt. <laughs> yeah, cobalt. <laughs> I'm melting. But anyways... Between the bars. Mineral minutes. Mineral. Mineral. Mineral minutes. Minerals. All right. So this week's mineral minute is brought to you by the magnesium iron <laughs> silicate hydroxide coming tonight. <clears throat> Coming tonight is a metamorphic amphibole with a chemical formula of MGFE2MGFE4. 
SI8O22 with two hydroxide. Coming tonight is defined as a monoclinic <laughs> amphibole belonging to the magnesium iron manganese amphibole subgroup. It is, it's defined with magnesium as the dominant element both in the B and C positions. <laughs> coming tonight has got a vitreous luster and coming tonight's color is translucent dark green brown gray to colorless. Coming tonight was originally named in 1824 by Chester Dewey for the type locality in Cummington, Massachusetts in the good old U.S. of A. Coming tonight is a diamorph of anthophyllite and forms a series with gr grunerite. Optical data for this mineral shows that it is a biaxially plus mineral and has measured 2V angles of 65 degrees to 90 degrees and calculated values of 70 to 90 degrees. Coming tonight's crystal system is monoclinic. Commonly occurs in medium grade regionally metamorphosed rocks. So, characteristics of metamorphosed iron formations. Also, late stage mineral in some gabbros and. So, also a late stage mineral in some gabbros and norites. Rarely, rarely in. Silicious <laughs> volcanic rocks. Stay tuned for next week's <laughs> Widgy Moothlight. <laughs> Say it again. I can't. Widgy. <laughs> We had a complete meltdown. Whoa, fancy. <laughs> You'll definitely want to stay tuned for next week's Mineral Minute to catch sight of that rare hydrated nickel tube carbonate. Mineral. Mineral minutes. Mineral. Mineral. Mineral minutes. Minerals. Woo, okay, right. so uh, I think we had a complete uh, <laughs> breakdown. Next week's mineral. <laughs> Widgie Moultholite. It Dude, but it looks awesome. Have you look up look up that mineral real quick? Oh wow! Yeah, almost looks like a diopside. A yeah. Bit. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness, that was hilarious. Yep, that was good. All right, <clears throat> so you saw us break down. All right, so. <laughs> Cobalt, what it isn't good for. We talked about it's used primarily in alloy, semiconductors, fertilizers, and as a drying agent for varnish and enamel coating for steel. So in the form of cobalt sulfate, it is particularly important in lithium batteries. And that's why kind of we're here where it acts as a cathode stabilizer. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's going to come with a lot of issues. We talked about lithium last week and like the environmental and social impacts that are going on. And so with, 
we brought it up before in in the open pit mines. So the, remember, those are the ones that are the primary producers of, of yeah. cobalt. They're going to be quite deep, and you have kids <laughs> working in these, and so the the walls are really steep. I think they're like three to one sometimes. Like yeah, slope, and it's like you you have landslides happening in them, like people are falling down. And you know, I just last June the in one of the artisanal mines in the Congo, I think they had forty three people die from a landslide. Yeah, that's that's wild. I just uh, in in twenty nineteen yeah. in a mine. These regulations that are not there <laughs> are dependent on the host country, and so like yeah, like major big big countries that have the manufacturing, like China, like you were talking about, they don't care. They go to these other countries where there's no obviously the deposits there, but they have no regulation on that. And so that's the same thing for like what we were talking about, like drainage and everything is no one's regulating it. Or if they are, it's loose regulation. Yeah. So yeah, liquid waste include these ore processing fluids. I was just saying they're stored on site, but sometimes it'll interact with the natural groundwater. And so it interacts with the solid mine waste. I brought it up earlier, the Idaho thing. That's exactly what that is. It's like they had a seepage event and it bled into everybody's drinking water. Yeah. Where arsenic was also part of that story. These people had much elevated arsenic in yeah. their drinking water. Would you say it was 70 times? Yeah, 70 water? times for cobalt. I don't know what the arsenic was, but it's one of the ones you don't want. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the main thing with cyanide gas? I don't know. Not sure. I don't know either. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And so... I'm, we're probably going to touch on it a little bit later too. We could change this. And I say we, like we're just on a podcast and you're just listening, but we do consume a lot of this cobalt. So in the end, the way I see it is we should have some say in <laughs> yeah. what we're buying and how it's how it's getting to us. We need regulation. And so these, these humans that are here working, they're also humans just like us in unregulated countries. They go home and they don't really get away from this substance, um, these elevated levels at least. Those are some issues closed mines they may or may not be taken care of after that and so we we have other issues like i brought up earlier like the mining of the seafloor yeah like how are we going to do that and not screw <laughs> the ocean life and then I'm, I'm guessing coastal communities will then be places for processing so, i mean yeah if they're still there yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you right. So I mean, oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So really what we've really been talking about is this race to produce enough materials for the energy storage revolution. It's really creating this host of, I guess, environmental problems, if you will. So as, as your cobalt producing nations like the Democratic Republic of Congo, Zambia, and Cuba are discovering that there's lung disease and heart failure have been linked to these high levels of this element, while mines that produce it are blamed for devastating. Uh, devastating the landscape. They are polluting the water. They're contaminating crops and there's a loss of soil fertility. So this goes back oh, yeah. to kind of what we were talking about when, you know, when we talked about the effects of deforestation. Well, when you're scarping the top of the environment, you're, you're also, you're robbing anything, especially with the, I guess the mine, the, the yeah, acidity of that. You're Yeah. If you're increasing acidity, you're not going to like, you want somewhat alkaline, right? So yeah. Yeah. So these lithium ion batteries are really, they're increasing in demand for electric cars cars, laptops, mobile phones, and which means cobalt, the once deemed worthless chemical and the, the monster in the <laughs> mines. <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> is now the object of a geostrategic rivalry between the world's biggest economies. We keep bringing up China too, right? And then we think of America, we're not producing it here, so we're getting it from somewhere. It really has the potential of exposing humans and other species to these greater doses that we talked about, like the impacts of what happens if you touch some of this stuff. Yeah, it's it's so wild. Like I looked around my apartment earlier and I was like, oh my God, like I have this thing that probably came from here and then they didn't give a shit about the people that live there. I was talking to a guy earlier and we were talking about there was a river in Indonesia and like cobalt is one of the things that they just dump in the river there. It's really? like, actually, it's more of an estuary system, but mercury was also. And so if you, you can actually go to Google Earth and see it, it's this like red water. Wow. All of the buildings have like a coating of that on there because it's just evaporating and precipitating down. Oh and these people goodness. just live there. And Did I saw it because I was just dinking around on Google Earth when I was bored at work. And then where was this again? Uh, it's in Indonesia. Indonesia. Yeah. Man, that's that's nutty. And they drink the water. Yeah. And I mean, but <laughs> how, I mean, that's, that's what they have. Yeah. Right? Global production has increased more than sevenfold between 2008 and 2015 with an increasingly evident impact. The appearance of cobalt levels exceeding the environmental threshold levels has led, however, to disturbances in the proper functioning of living organisms. The environmental impact extends through the life cycle of the product. So from the refineries, battery plants, consumers, consumer goods, consumer good manufacturers, electronic recycling facilities, and then waste dumps. Among the most affected are workers at the poorly regulated mines. So, yeah, so there, there you go. Yeah, that's what, I mean, <laughs> what you were saying. So then the, and I, and I believe it's like, so it's got, it's reaching this alarming levels in the Congo. So the global demand for cobalt is, which is that key component in the lithium ion batteries used in consumer electronics, right? Is expected to grow fourfold by the year 2030. So moving forward, it's in, in that fourfold, right? So that's like exponential growth. Like, so yeah. it doubles and it doubles and it doubles and it doubles. So more than 70% of the global production of cobalt takes place in the, the DRC or the Democratic Republic of the Congo, of which the, the 15 to 30% comes from these so-called like artisanal mines and the small scale mines. So I believe they call them ASMs uh, whenever I was reading uh, up on them. So if you hear me say ASM, it's these artisanal small scale mines, if you will. And then, well, I mean, I feel like the issue is too, that it it's their livelihood, like some of these smaller mines. So it's not, it's not a product of them. It's these larger companies that come in and exploit yeah. that. Yeah. Cause that's all they have there. Like yeah. What else are they going to so be living on? And, and, and they're doing this kind of bullshit work to eke out a living in a region so densely covered by industrial mining licenses that there's close to no space for anyone else to exploit the land. So like these people, you have these companies coming into the Congo saying, Hey, president, whoever you are, right? Like we'll give you this money for this plot of land. Right. And then the people living there, they can't even stake a claim in it because it's already taken up. So it literally ripping what potential wealth they have. From yeah, see, I, yeah. I know. So sourcing cobalt from the DRC is linked to these major human right atrocities and risks. So which have been widely documented. So the prevalence of these artisanal mines and uh, the ASMs, if you will, in the cobalt supply chain creates a challenges for establishing responsible sourcing practices. One issue is a mining company. If we're going to play uh, one shoe, other shoe, if you did pay this country to go in and mine, which happens all over the place, right? So how do they go about, I guess, protecting? Because what you're having also the problem with is kind of like the these independent miners, these artisanal mines that they'll go in actually and kind of take, they'll go in and just mine 
the the actual people's <laughs> minds like they get close to it and then they kind of like invade it and take all the the things right yeah it's one of those weird things like they want to protect so like they'll they'll hire mercenaries or they'll have the government's military come in oh, wow. right so but then these people will pay the military off like it's yeah. it, it's like one of these corrupt things it's right corruption everywhere you know before you go feeling sorry for the mining companies <laughs> keep in mind that it's again like you've said it's largely unregulated and they rape the very land that they are profiting from yeah and the people right so i just feel like it's and i know that's graphic language but i really feel like that's what it's like doing that's a really accurate way to put it part of <clears> me <throat> kind of understands like yeah they got to protect their interests in it but yeah if it was more sustainable i like, mean it's stealing in a way right it is and so i remember there's a book i read it was called the prophet and it was the worst sin you could do was stealing. It was like everything can be broken down to that. And so you're everything that these people that grow up in this area can't get out of. Yeah. They, the only way to make money is probably to go work in this mine. You're stealing their future of anything else. Yeah. And, and then for the ones that do kind of like they get their own stake, they 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 don't they're not they're not i know no but like but what they don't they don't have i I was reading one report with them and they they don't have cell phones they don't have internet so they can't check the world global prices yeah yeah. so they're taking at face value these other companies that are buying it for them they're like okay well we'll give you this much money per ton yeah that's a good deal which (laughs) is probably pennies to the dollar right (laughs) like i mentioned last week apple google microsoft tesla they were all sued for purchasing cobalt from known mines that employed child labor abuses, right? So so the the concerns are not just in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So uh, many other countries where the minerals often mined in tandem with nickel and copper and silver also face these kind of challenges. So we see that in Zambia, studies of soil and mango fruit grown near copper and cobalt mines have revealed metals above the safety limits. NGOs say miners in the country are also prone to silicosis and tuberculosis. Yeah. So what, is that the, where they breathe then and their lungs get lined with yeah and like think about it so you're not only just around it but i'm guessing these people eat some of that stuff for snacks during the day like right like i don't know i don't know if you'd get killed for doing that or what but then you're ingesting this and so that's a really quick way to and we talked earlier what happens like how do you get it in you have to ingest it right exactly so whenever it's out there floating around official data the independent reports and scientific studies are scarcer in other producing countries though the authorities appear to be concerned in China, inspections by the Ministry of Ecology and Environmental or Environment in June 2008 temporarily halted production in Xinjiang province, which is the global center of cobalt refinery. Um, two years ago, the Philippines closed or suspended 17 nickel mines and several of which of these, they obviously also produce cobalt, but it was because of environmental concerns. These concerns are likely to grow along with increased production. It's an exaggeration to say that the lithium ion batteries will become the new oil, but low carbon future will almost certainly mean higher cobalt energy storage and production. 2017, the world's battery makers used 41,000 tons of cobalt. That's the... Yeah. (laughs) A third of the total production. By 2025, they're expected to increase it to 117,000 tons. Golly. Yeah, we're... we're on this climb that yeah no it's like just a so like it's four the, yeah so it's gonna increase by fourfold like by the year twenty thirty and then I I I forget that I don't want to say numbers that I don't but like by twenty fifty right isn't that like when it comes to global warming twenty fifty is kind of like that should have get it off the pot I think yeah. now is should have get it off the pot <laughs> but think, like yeah. there's no turning back there's after no twenty fifty yeah. 
hopefully by then we've done something. Maybe all the old people will die off and let us run it. <laughs> I want Mayor Pete for president next. Yeah. So anyways, a little bit about nickel. There's this additional scrutiny has largely focused on the ethical concerns with cobalt and lithium supply chains. So we've, we've talked about that. The automobile, steel, and battery manufacturers, they, they really, really, really need to address these environmental risks in the nickel supply chain and or else they, they should really be, they should face these reputational damage. Like if there was a way that we could, I guess, see where we're getting the nickel or the cobalt or the lithium, where it's coming from really would help, I guess, me as a consumer. Yeah. You as a consumer, everyone as a consumer, like, are you making the right choices? Right. And like transparency and, and, and if lawsuits come out, the money needs to go back into those communities. Absolutely. Like that's, that's the big thing is the people that are doing the dirty work for them that probably don't know it's dirty work. Yeah. Let's be honest. They don't, they, they're, it's all you've ever known. Yeah. But like when something's happening to you and you're still getting paid for it, like think about how bad or how hard it is to leave a job that you don't like. I mean, and but, if you want, like when you think of change, like everyone like grabs for grass or whatever they can, because they want to stay put. No. Yeah. And no. So, I mean, I gave a presentation over neoliberalism and yeah. it's, and it's, and it's, it's very much so like what you're saying is like, you don't leave your job because you need that to survive. So in essence, they are slaves inside the system because there's no way of getting out and it's about making yeah. money and you're not going to rise up against it because they have all the power. If they fire you, you don't have a job and your family won't eat. So they have this control over you yeah. and it's and it's and it's nuts. It, it, it blows my mind. What nickel and cobalt gives with one hand, it's going to actually take with the other hand. The nickel production comes at environmental costs that threaten to undercut its own clean energy credentials. You could assume that. I mean, like, or take that with your your lithium or your right. your cobalt. So companies reliant on this metal, they they need to acknowledge their exposure to environmental risks and take the necessary preventative measures. Yeah, like plumes of sulfur dioxide choking the skies, churned earth blanketed in cancerous dust, rivers running blood red. Environmental campaigners have painted a grim picture of the nickel mines and smelters feeding the electric vehicle industry. Yeah, so I think in 2009, a study came out that actually concluded that global warming potential of mining and processing nickel was the eighth highest of the 63 metals. Wow. <laughs> like it's, it's not, how do they, so there's, they could do a report and they know from the mining of nickel overall is the eighth highest yeah. leading to CO2. Yeah. And so like nickels, it's a vital ingredient for lo looking at where we need to be to be low carbon like output. Right. Yeah. But it's got its severe environmental risk. And I think that that's kind of the thing is we, we, we're not, once again, are not saying that we're like, hey, you know, screw all this. Let's keep on fossil fuels. But what you hear on the media, like, oh, it, it sounds so simple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they make it seem so uh, benign. Yeah. And not only is it not simple scientifically to do all these things, um, like, yeah, it's it's an established standard of practice, I guess. It's not simple from like a socioeconomic status and just culturally either. And so that's, that's the problem is it's that these impacts, they're environmental and they're just human interaction. Yeah. So with the, the add on to what you're saying with the environmental, that 40% of the global nickel reserves are actually going to be found in locations with high biodiversity. So I know at least with the lithium, with the Atacama desert, there wasn't, you know, there, they had these micro kind of biodiversity kind of areas that were carved out in these niche areas. But if you see, 
see that 40% of where they're, where the, the reserves of this nickel are is high biodiversity and they're actually in protected areas and 35% are going to be in areas with high water stress. So that means that they're already running out of water. Yeah. We know what we talked about last time is that it's going to consume a lot of water to process these minerals or not minerals, but elements. Yeah. And they're not going to bring that water. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Like they're using the local, the local yeah. water. And then what we talked about last week is how the locals, they'll have to have that water imported to them. Yeah. Dude, and, <laughs> and we're ended talking about a time like there, what is it in South Africa? Like that's like, there are cities that are legit running out of water. Like there's, they've run down the <laughs> water table. Like they're, they've emptied out their aquifer. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> and then you're going to have companies come in in some places, you know, at least in other, but 35% are in high stress uh, water. So the, the problem for the businesses is that the, the production of the laterite derived nickel is not only more costly than the sulfides, right? So you, we see that the, like what you said is that it's more abundant, but it's, it's yeah. way worse for the environment. It take a lot more water, right? But it's also going to bring a, a suite of additional environmental concerns since the intensive processing uses more energy. It's going to pollute more and the water has a great negative impact on biodiversity. Yeah, to assess the scale of the sustainability challenge, we got to examine the energy requirements for the production of each ore based on current techniques. I would like to see a study of that. Yeah. And like, we always say, oh, well, we could do this in the future, but like, what are we doing now? We need to assess that. So the production of nickel laterites uses far more energy than the production of, of sulfides, like we were saying. Some of the least efficient operations are found in Brazil, Indonesia, like I was talking about, and Guatemala, where a vast amount of energy they're consumed during mining, drying, acid leaching, and refining. Yeah, but so like, and then what do you see? I mean, what stands out to you about those three countries too? Close to third world. Yeah, <laughs> no. So, but you remember when we were talking about when we had the, on the episode from the curious questions from the listener, and we talked about kind of that, what right is it to, for them to use their own resources to kind of do what they want? You know, kind of like yeah. Brazil using the rainforest as like their, but I feel like where the, the difference with this is like you have all of these outside influences of, it's a geo, I mean, it's definitely yeah. like, world players coming into this and like they own these mines in these countries and they're in the countries are probably they're not they're they're getting again raped <laughs> yeah and like it's not only just those people but we're continuing to buy the stuff and so i'm like i'm always the the asshole that's like hey like yeah you want to stop the terrible impacts of environment but you're still out buying whatever you do at the store you're, you still have plastic all over your house and I'm, I'm talking to myself too right like, no it, it, it doesn't start with regular like we need to get in check on our, our rate of consuming. So, I mean, I, what I would like, so this might be more applicable to our, when we talk about plastic, but I would like to do a challenge where I legit every piece of plastic that I collect for a month, collect it, don't yeah. throw it away and just keep it somewhere so I can see physically how much I consume in a month. It'll be intimidating. To it, see it, that. <laughs> do, or just like all of your waste, like, so like yeah. your aluminum cans, cause you do have, cause the inside of aluminum cans is a fine layer of plastic. Yeah. That, cause I guess the sodas, they would eat away at that aluminum. So they have to align it in plastic. Yeah. Whoa. whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. So anyways, <laughs> uh, the, the other crucial thing is water use is another critical consideration on the radar of investors when assessing the environmental impacts of mining. So the sheer scale of laterite 
direct deposits means that the extracting the ore produces more wastewater than mining the sulfide. So this is important to keep in mind. So laterite production also requires acid leaching, what we talked about consuming chemicals such as sulfuric acid and ammonia and the increasing the threat to surrounding water quality. Back to the Philippines, when we can already witness the risk materializing in front of our eyes. So the government crackdown on the mining sector stems from the environmental impacts and most recently the crazy dude, I don't, I don't even <laughs> want to say that because right, this yeah. like President Duarte, Duterte, whatever his name is, like he's like nuts, right? I want to say like he has kind of like, uh, anyways, so he's actually threatened to ban open pit mining entirely, which would have sur uh, severe consequences for nickel producers and companies have been accused of polluting rivers, wells, and farmlands, and then the effects of which have been exacerbated by water scarcity in the area. So it just mm. compounds. Yeah. In addition to the heightened energy and water concerns, laterite operations present significant threats to high biodiversity. Nickel's toxic. So when it's released in effluent, it often occurs at higher con concentrations than normal background levels. And therefore it's going to pose a severe threat to the biome, to the ecosystems. So our biodiversity in protected areas, uh, terrestrial index captures the risk of business based on the level of species richness and the presence uh, in these protected areas. In 2009, over 90% of the world's rare earth elements came from Baotou. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Baotou. So, Baotou. I don't know how you say it. Baotou? <laughs> Baotou? I, I don't, don't know. know. Someone's going to me on that one. I hope so. Uh, however, China doesn't uh, have most of every single type of rare earth element. And so the country produces about 90% of the global economy's neodymium, but it has only about 30% of the world's reserves. So to some degree, China may be profiting the most from rare earth elements simply because it's willing to pay the heavy environmental price that comes from mining them. Yeah. So like, I, I think I put this story in there is because not just talking about electronic batteries, but all the other parts that go with it, like the rare yeah. earth elements, like, so like the, the neodymium, neodymium, right? So, but like, I don't know, I, I think maybe I talked to you about the story, but if for the ones out there, so I think water is also like the scarcity too. So for every ton of rare earth elements mined somewhere, 340,000 to 420,000 cubic feet of waste gas made out of dust, hydrofluoric acid, sulfuric acid, sulfur dioxide uh, is released. Oh my God. I mean, what stood out to me there, like obviously sulfuric acid, but hydrofluoric acid is released? That's, that, that's, the, that's the most corrosive, yeah, like, that's like, the worst one. Yeah. So I used to work with that stuff in a clean lab and someone didn't Titan, like I think I told this story. Yeah, no, sure. you said it was uh, that was nitric. Oh no, this you said it was sorry. HCl. We had all of those. So, okay, so maybe there was HCl. Um, we also use nitric, but actually, the story I'm thinking of now that I remember, someone didn't properly put the uh, like secure the tube <laughs> oh. on the hydrofluoric, and so they were like, oh well, yeah, it's fine, and but it was dripping, and so it dripped all along the tube, and <laughs> Doctor Masu's PhD student was in there, and he was like, I'll just blow it out. Oh my god, like, do not touch no. That. But he, he did. He did touch it with his lips and he had to go to the emergency room. He was fine. But I mean, that stuff will sit in there and just start decomposing your bones. No. Yeah. Like that. It's that's the uh, the most acidic one of them all. Because, right. So it's like the 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 further you go, right, like hydrochloric acid, but then <laughs> hydrofluoric acid, like at the top, like yeah, the periodic bad, table. That stuff. So that's, you know, how, you know, I'm a geologist, and not a chemist. Why? Because I only do it on the, the table periodically. <laughs>
Hi-oh. Okay, so I'm going to read that again just so we're, it sinks in. So for every ton of rare earth elements mined, anywhere between 340,000 to 420,000 cubic feet of waste gas made out of dust of hydrofluoric acid, sulfuric dioxide, and sulfuric acid is released. So you're also going to get about 2,600 cubic feet of acidic wastewater and one ton of radioactive waste. So this is just the byproduct of... <laughs> Uh, rare earth elements. What you were saying is like, like China don't give no Fs. Like, no, so like, I, but you know, they're an up and coming money in the rare earth elements. They're not, it's not saying like, Hey, these are, are rare. Like America has plenty of them, but yeah. China's willing to take that pride. You know, they're, they're saying, Hey, like we don't give, we don't give no yeah. shits. So the, the result is a constant stream of toxic sludge in this area of Baotau. And, and that feeds into this giant wasteland. So right outside the city and it's easy to villainize certain industries sectors like petroleum, for example, for destroying the environment. But uh, what happens when one of the worst offending industries is the producer of something we can't live without? Abomination. Yeah, no. So like, yeah. but, but before we move on, it's like, yeah, so that, that entire city, it's like, it's gross. So it's in Mongolia, oh, okay. Mongolia, China. Yeah. So like, uh, it's, they, they have the, Mongolia has the most delicious beef. I love Mongolian beef. But they have the, one of the worst. So it's this whole city that was tiny. And then they had this huge influx because this is where they're, um, I guess, refining all of these uh, rare earth elements. And then, you know, just right outside the city, they have this, uh, it's an entire lake that they're just dumping this <laughs> toxic waste into, dude. And it's nuts. That's and then there's pictures of uh, the city where it's just lined in this kind of yeah. This soot. Yeah. And, and it just sits there and it like will accumulate on like whatever. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You're breathing it in every day. It's like living in Lubbock and trying to keep your car not have <laughs> dust on it. Yeah. But it's toxic stuff that's it wants to kill you. Yeah. So possible solutions. Yeah. Um, the rise in nickel production from laterite ores, it's presenting emergent emerging sources of risk for battery steel and the automobile manufacturers. And and a new blind spot for investors. Companies in these industries will be expected to ensure greater transparency when sourcing raw materials such as nickel and to roll out extensive product recollection and recycling schemes to mitigate the environmental risk exposure. Best practices for sourcing such materials include actively engaging with suppliers, while effective engagement might include ensuring adequate measures are in place to improve water and energy efficiency. Yeah, and then a little bit more about the, I guess, artisanal mining. So it's a lifeline for the millions, like we talked about, impoverished people in the DRC. So we, I would really like to see some kind of initiative of these companies really working with the authorities to kind of formalize this. Because like you said at the beginning is that these countries actually are the ones who have these regulations in place. Yeah. And then so if these, you know, companies that don't give no Fs from China or America, because I'm sure like we we're not all bright and shiny in here. No. Like we're highlighting China <laughs> because like. They really don't give Fs. Like, I think what makes, I mean, if I would assume like the American company is doing it is like, we know that we're doing it. We're just kind of trying to get away with it. Yeah. Whereas China, at least they're, they own it. They're like, well, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. So, <laughs> but so if we can formalize it, it's really going to make it safer. And I think the first and foremost is that there needs to be child labor, <laughs> like laws, God. like you do not need <laughs> no. child, like let them be children. Yeah. In, in wage increases so that they don't have to do that, that their parents or whoever chooses to work here that they don't have to have their kids also coming in to work. On the other side of that, with that, do you want to be paying $5,000 for a cell phone? 
<laughs> no, I would probably give up my cell phone. So, and then, okay. So I was talking about this earlier too. So as we move forward, so like there is going to be like, we said this earlier too, like if the infrastructure was in place now and all implemented at the same time, that it really would lower the, the carbon emissions, but we're, yeah. we're not there yet. And then we talked last week too about this idea of consumerism. So if you were to like, I'm sure you have these same people that are like, oh, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to get an electric car, but they're buying a new electric car every two years. So, I mean, like you're <laughs> not really... <laughs> Because we talked about all the, the the nonsense that goes into making these batteries. So, I mean, if you're if you're into electric vehicles and you're turning it over, like, uh, you know what I'm saying? Every yeah. couple of years, then F you like, yeah, keep it for at least like 10 years. Yeah, you don't you don't have to have something new and shiny. And I, some people live that lifestyle and I'm just not like that. I don't no. know. I, and it, it really doesn't. We as people, I know like people yell at the industries and stuff and they need to be yelled at. Yeah, uh, yeah. But we all need to wake up and realize that just because you're not there and pointing at people to go work in these conditions, yeah, you indirectly are. And, and I'm speaking to myself, like I said earlier, but no, I, and I yeah. feel like we can all do better. Like yeah. I, I, I want to do the, the plastic one too. Yeah. Cause I just, I, I really <laughs> want to do that. Cause like, cause yeah. the plastic straw dude, like, oh, but yeah, it, it's, it's all good until you know, but everyone listening to this now knows. And so like we've, we found out like, and yeah. so you have, you can't just turn a blind eye. You, you have to change. It's not going to demand is what's causing this. No. Yeah. Happen, like the so. artificial, like inflation yeah. price of diamonds, like that's, they're only important because we think. <laughs> think that they're important exactly. and that's all been marketing by companies yeah. and they've, you know, you know, luckily that they got their, their head on straight with like, at least they're not doing blood diamonds. And, but yeah. there's more transparency now. Like when you buy a diamond, they say, Hey, this is where we got it. It's not, you know, an apartheid diamond where <laughs> there yeah. was genocide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anything else you want to bring up about it? No, like I, I learned a lot. I, I didn't know all of this was happening to this degree. And so it's the, the past couple of weeks, starting with lithium, it's, um, Pretty, yeah. pretty eye-opening and you know I I don't know what I'm even trying to say here but I want to be the change that I see in the world yeah. you know what I'm saying like I it, it's it's one thing that we can bitch about it yeah like right but if you don't do anything about it if you just if you're just a blowhard yeah you don't do anything about it yeah like, then it's it, it I think it's gonna fall on deaf ears I and I think that just voting for people that you think will make a change I'm gonna tell you right now that is not enough no so um you may think that and I, I once thought that that way, but no, like it, it really does boil down to what are you consuming? And then I think there's a, also a misconception too, like we're voting for president. It's, it, it's, it's at the local level that yeah. it's really going to yeah. make it a, a thing. Yeah. So, I mean, if we want to go to just the idea of voting, you know how people are like, oh, my vote doesn't matter. But like, so maybe that might be true just for the president, but you still have to vote for your state representatives, you know, your local elections, like all of, so yeah. it, it vote. I don't know. Vote. Vote. Yeah. Brian's liquoring up because <laughs> this one's going to be a fun one. So uh, to reset kind of like last week, um, it might, it may be heavy, but we do it just to bring awareness. So yes. with that being said... This 
So yeah, our our theme song to our our segment that freaking rocks. And it's an original. If you have this is your first listen, we wrote that. Yeah, That's we did. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Today we have a special treat. I'm so excited. Like you can, I, you, you can't see it on my end or our end, but Brian is a little uncomfortable. He's, he's squirmy in his seat right now because today's that freaking rocks. I don't know if you've, or if you a long time listener and you make it this long to that freaking rocks. There was once upon a time ago, Brian said that he actually made up a rap song to uh, <laughs> geology. I did. So uh, I've, since we're, we're closing out the season, uh, not tonight, but our next episode, we'll get to that in a little bit. Why not? Yeah, you wanted me to, to, to throw it out there. Yeah. I did this a few years ago and I- yeah, I Give us I, a context, set I, it up for I us. had to do this for a class at UTA when I was helping out with Dr. Basu, but I was working in a clean lab and I had to write a geochemistry rap. Nice. And it was the cheesiest thing ever. So I like actually did a video of it probably on YouTube somewhere. It is, I just don't want y'all to go see it. <laughs> It's called Ion Thank Exchange you for saying. Chromatome. <laughs> That's chromatography <laughs> rap. Dude, dude, there's too much. There's too much. Uh, All right, hum. I'll, do it. I'll do it. Dude, I didn't I didn't realize it was so long. Yeah, I'll, dude, I'll do it. When I'm looking at that, it doesn't look like it's that long. No, I, uh, <laughs> so I need to go. You can. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Brace yourselves, get your pipettes, get your hairnet on, because we're about to bridge geology with chemistry, with some ion exchange chromatography. Get HF and HNO3, make sure you're using them carefully. Strong acids completely dissociate, nitric acid is a pretty good candidate. Let's dissolve these rocks down to nothing, it takes a while, so go and make some muffins. Simple <laughs> column, H plus in the cup to separate strontium Crank malaria. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I'm just, I, like you. You did all the the rapping. Like I'm nerd sweaty from just going a little bit of beatboxing. <laughs> so it, it's here. We did it. Yeah, Yay. that was live. That was. Well, that was awesome. I'm surprised I remembered the metering so well. Yeah, dude. But I feel like I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a rapper. It was very. It was very much. I feel like not. Not to sound racist or offended, but it was like a, a white person rap. You know, where's that, yeah, that that same that cadence where it's not. It's, it's just very that. so. It's just like uh 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 uh. I feel like if that, I wish if I could have a superpower, it, I think it would be to rap. Like yeah, I mean, it would be nice to just. Not, not, not be there. so, uh, 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 <laughs> like really rap. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> I guess we'll close it up with this. So I think next week we're going to, we're going to close out the season. So our, our season one is coming to an end. So we're going to, next week's going to be our, the, the end of the season until the new year. Right. So next week's going to be about Christmas and geology. And yeah. I, I think it'd be fun. So we're yeah. going to talk about some Christmas traditions, where they come from, and then try to give it a little bit of a geology context or an environmental context. So excellent job rapping, man. Like that was, yeah. I, you blew my mind, dude. I, I don't, think i would have the the confidence to do that so. I, i'm surprised at myself for doing that yeah a, so 
Brian Braggins. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I, 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 man. Yeah. Well, this has been another, I think, successful episode of Geology on the Rock. So a big thank you again to all the listeners who stuck with us this entire time. Uh, that's talking about not just this episode, but from uh, episode one. Hopefully yeah. the the qualities of these things have progressively gotten better. <laughs> I think I think last week's I, yeah, the audio was pretty yeah. sweet. So next week, uh, again, we're going to be closing out uh, season one with a Christmas holiday special. I can't believe it's the beginning of an end, but it's yeah. also the beginning of a, a beautiful thing that we've created. Yeah, I'm loving it. So until then, as always, I'm your host, James the Geologist. And I'm Brian Baggins. Remember to be cool. Stay tuned. And keep it on, on the, the rocks. rocks. Right, man, we did it. Very much successful. Oh, I don't know what's happening there. Oh, boop, boop.